welcome to The Placer Life. I'm Scotty Sando. And I'm Chris Gray. In the spirit of the Halloween season, today we're bringing you first-hand tales of encounters with the supernatural in Placer County at some of our very own museums. We've got wonderful and free museums in Placer County, and many of them are in historical buildings that date back to Placer's early gold rush days. They're a window into the way life used to be, but as you'll hear, sometimes the past isn't quite as past as we like to believe. So grab your flashlights and your pumpkin spice tea and pull the blankets up close, and let's dare to meet some of Placer's dead. I'm Ralph Gibson. I'm the uh, museum's administrator for Placer County. Ralph's been the administrator of our museums and archives division since 2004. After serving in the Navy, he got a bachelor's and then a master's degree in archaeology and then took a job at the Kellhouse Museum in Texas. Archaeology, uh, while, it's a, while it's a bachelor or a master's of arts, um, it's still science-based. We're still looking at evidence. We're still weighing um, evidence in the field to come up with the good hypothesis and, and a theory that may uh, fit the evidence that we find. So... We use we use a scientific method, and I've always kind of used that in my everyday life. Um, but when I was hired to to work at the Kellhaus Museum in Texas, I was told by the board that hired me that I'm going to have experiences. And my first thought was, oh, yeah, right, I'm going to have experiences. I'll be able to write everything off in my head once I see what it is. It wasn't long before one of those experiences was not something that Ralph could easily write off in his head. It was September 10th, 2002, and... Uh, the American Alliance of Museums had requested that all museums do special exhibits in the first anniversary of 9-11, and we were doing an exhibit on the Red Cross in Wichita Falls, which was started by Willie Mae Kell, one of the Kell daughters. And uh, my exhibit team was made up of a bunch of volunteers who were in their 70s and 80s, so a lot of the work just fell to me. And I was uh, working well into the night on September 10th to try to get this exhibit done. And it was uh, almost 10 o'clock at night, and I'm working in this one little room, and that's the only light on in the house, because when I started, it was daylight. And so as the night grew on, just this little island of light is where I worked. And all of a sudden, I heard uh, the back screen porch door open. And then I heard the kitchen door open. And I heard ladies talking. Then I heard footfalls on the linoleum in the kitchen. And they're still talking. I I immediately thought that my volunteers had saw the light on and said, oh, Ralph's working late tonight, and maybe they were going to pitch in and give me a hand. So I started talking to them as I started walking toward another light to help them see their way. And I I said, I'm going to get the light, don't worry. And they were walking right toward me, and right where they should be, right in front of me, walking and talking. I turned the light on, and there was no one there. And that really got me, more than anything else. It was just, I mean, the the hair on my head stood up, and I got goose pimples all over my my flesh. And uh, I ended up turning on every single light in that house to finish that exhibit. And I don't think I turned them off when I left. I think I just left them all on that night when I was done and came back. But that really shook me. My logical side said, you heard people talking out in the street. And I ran out and I looked. There was no one up and down the street. 
no one around. Um, it's not in a very busy part of town. It's in a quiet part of town. And, uh, and then I thought, wait a minute, you didn't just hear voices. You heard the back screen door open. You heard the kitchen door open. You heard footfalls on the linoleum. Those aren't going to come from the street. So I, I don't, you know, I, I can't explain that. It, it opened me up that, that there are things that we can't always explain. Um, I'm not going to come out and say what it is. I'm just going to say I can't explain what it was. You go back uh, 100 years and beyond, death was uh, more common than it is today. I mean, death has always been the death's a part of life. But, I mean, people would have multiple children knowing that not all of them were going to make it to adulthood. If you go walking through the old Auburn Cemetery, you're going to see a lot of uh, children that are buried there. There were accidents. Um, medical care wasn't very good. It was a violent time, and it was also a time when, uh, you know, if you got hurt, you got an infection, you know, there, there, there were not good odds you were going to make it. So, yeah, it was. It was, death was all around. History is, is haunting. I mean, we are working with, uh, in our museum, every object we have was interacted with somebody that is past. And we're looking at buildings that were occupied people, by people that are long gone. Um, and in fact, if you walk through the old Auburn Cemetery, you're actually walking, you're seeing our history laid out right there. All our important key figures from the, uh, from the gold rush era all the way up to, to modern times. Um, these, are, these are places that I think people kind of skip over when they start studying the history of an area as an old cemetery. You're going to find names in that cemetery that match all the streets in a town you're from because of the, who these people were. So history is really about ghosts. And that history includes Placer County's gold rush. You know, that's, that's really the biggest part of the gold rush is this mix of people from all over the world because a lot of people really don't get how big a deal that was. I mean, this was, this was as far as we can tell, one of the greatest migra migrations of people voluntarily that has happened in the history of mankind where so many people wanted to come to, to one little place on the, on the globe and it was to find gold. And uh, you've got people from the old world, you've got people from China, you've got people from Australia and even parts of Africa. Um, you've got people coming from all over. And of course they bring with them their superstitions, their beliefs, and you have this sort of mixing of all this stuff. And, uh, and I think that that may lend itself more to like a, a ghost story or legends that you know, may have a supernatural kind of feel to them. You certainly come across superstitions, like uh, people um, uh, fearing. Uh, there was a. Uh, it wasn't for this area. It was another. I think Nevada County about a miner talking about a black cat, um, just being totally freaked out by it. Um, and I know just from reading about not Placer County, but just reading about the history of the er of the era, you know, there were some people that still believed in witches. Um, Heck, the last trial where witchcraft was used as a defense was in the 1920s in Pennsylvania. So, you know, the, the old world superstitions were, were there. From the early days of Placer County, the courthouse was at the center of everyday life for a lot of folks. And as it turns out, a lot of deaths, too. Uh, if you want to talk about the courthouse, it, it, we're going all the way back to the gold rush era. Because if you've ever been to the historic courthouse, there are two big magnolia trees there. The magnolia tree that's uh, on the front corner of the courthouse, if you're facing it, it'll be on that left front corner. Um, that magnolia tree that's right on Lincoln Way 
that area is where the first cemetery was in Auburn. Uh, that was a Gold Rush era cemetery, 1849, 1850, probably to about 1852. And the reason that it stopped being a cemetery in 1852 was they were going to put our second courthouse right on that same spot where our current courthouse is. And so the county acquired the land, and they had to move those bodies to what was then called the East Street Cemetery, which is where the Veterans Hall is today. So they moved the bodies there. When you're moving old graves, you pretty much can guarantee you're not going to move them all. The second thing that happened was he had to move those bodies again from the from the East Street Cemetery to the old Auburn Cemetery. So some of these, you know, the gold rush was very transient. People were moving around all the time. I didn't think they thought it would continue after they died, but it did. Um, so they were moved to the old Auburn Cemetery. Now, not just the grave, but once it became a courthouse, uh, the, our wooden courthouse was built, I think it opened in 1854. They started construction in 53. Um that's where they had uh, uh, hangings, the executions. And often people were buried at the foot of the gallows. So, you know, we know there were some that were buried on those, uh, uh, right up there on the hill where the courthouse is. In fact, they were digging a ditch in 1911 and found two skeletons. So, you know, those may have been bodies for people that were, that were hung there. So, so there's been executions. There was the, there was the, uh, the graveyard or first cemetery. And then uh, 1894, they started construction of our current courthouse, and it was completed uh, July 4th, 1898. Our ghost tour of some of Placer County's museums begins with the sad story of little Leroy Cohen. Well, actually, I probably need to tell you the story about the little boy first. Um, the jailer of, of Placer County is, was a guy named Leroy Cohn. And he had a little boy. He was just shy of his third birthday. It was uh, August 20th, uh, 1899. And it was a Sunday. And he was taking a group of family members up to the top of the cupola to look out a spectacular view from the top of the courthouse. And they were all up there. They were looking at it. It was, it was, it was a great view. And they were getting ready to go down the stairs. And one of the uh, children got pretty frightened. So he thought he had walked the kids down one at a time, carry them down this steep staircase. Well, he took his son first, little Leroy. He was Leroy Jr. He took him down the staircase, and he put him down on, on a landing um, above the fourth floor. And there's a, there was a skylight up there, this glass skylight. It was right off where the staircase was. And uh, he went back up to get the other little kid, and he was bringing that, that child down. And he got on the floor, and his son wasn't there. Like, where did, where did Leroy go? And then he saw one footprint next to uh, on the glass with the broken glass beyond it. And he knew his son had fallen, and he went down, and uh, he had crushed his skull. And uh, he, he languished for about uh, 24 hours. He died the next day. But little Leroy, uh, for all intents and purposes, died in that courthouse. Just a quick note here. Both the Placer County Museum and the museum administrative offices are in the historic courthouse in Auburn. My first experience was uh, very soon after I was hired. It was the spring of 2005. I worked on Saturdays, and I always came in really early, and I came in, and uh, I noticed all the glass, the plexiglass on the first floor, uh, right when you come in the hallway, was all dirty, and I thought, man, I need to clean this before we open at 10 o'clock. So I went and got my cleaning supplies. I washed every piece of plexiglass I could find. I got it all shining. I got all the fingerprints off, nose prints, and uh, put my cleaning supplies away, and I went back to my office, and the moment I sat down, the alarm went off. And I went running back to the alarm panel, and it said, Motion Case 6. Uh, what? 
the heck? So I went running out and I looked at the case and I thought maybe when I was cleaning, I jostled something and it fell and out of place. But I looked and looked and nothing was moved. Nothing had fallen. And then about three feet off the ground, dead center of the case, I saw two very dirty little handprints, like a little boy or a little girl that pressed their hands against that glass. And I didn't know the story about Leroy Cohn at that time. I could not figure out where those prints came from because the the door was locked. No one had access to that building. I'm the only one there. And yet here are these kids' prints right right on that glass. I could not figure it out. And it was later on I heard about the little boy, um, little Leroy Cohn. And uh, uh, bailiffs going back into the 60s and 50s um, have heard and seen that little boy playing in the courthouse. It was a bailiff that was on the second floor, and there was a trial going on in one of the smaller courtrooms on the second floor. And uh, he looked over, he was hearing a, a, like a ball bounce. He looked over and he saw a little boy dressed in old time clothes. And this little boy was bouncing a little ball and he was getting ready to go down the staircase down to the first floor, but he wanted to quiet the kid because they had a trial going on. So as he saw the kid going down the stairs, he radioed to the bailiff on the first floor and said, hey, we got a kid bouncing a ball, we got to stop him. So the bailiff on the first floor went up the stairs, the bailiff on the second floor went down the stairs, and they met, and there was no little boy in between. Up next, one of Placer County's most notorious murderers, Adolph Weber, makes an appearance. The Adolph story is is very dark, and it's one I'm surprised has not been made into a movie because it has all these strange elements to it. He was, uh, his father owned uh, the Auburn Brewery, had several properties that he leased, essentially retired after he sold the brewery, retired in his 40s. Um, They were well off. And uh, Adolph was uh, a very uh, gregarious and warm child growing up. But when he got into his teens, it was like it was a light switch. He became very withdrawn, very introverted, moody. Um, and no one could quite put a finger on what it was. He was a brilliant kid. He, he, he could not find anyone around here to play chess with. He had to play chess by mail to find someone up to his, up to his standards. So um, he, was, he was definitely a bright, bright boy. Um, but uh, in May of 1904, the Plasher County Bank was robbed. And uh, no one suspected at the time, but uh, he ended up being the prime suspect um, after, I guess, after the murders happened. Um, in November 10th, his entire family was murdered. Um, they were all shot with a 32 caliber pistol, and the, the house was burned down to try to hide that fact. Adolph was suspected of uh, murdering his family, and the motive being that his father may have found out that he was the one that robbed the bank. Well, he was convicted and sentenced to death, and he was hung at Folsom Prison on September 27, 1906. And when he was, uh, his body was put on public display in Sacramento, and hundreds of people in the rain lined up to see his body. He was a rock star. And he really was. He was getting love letters from women across the country. It was in the courthouse, and of course the first floor is where the jail was. And 
I was, uh, my office was down the hall opposite of where the jail was, which is the main gallery. And I was working late one night because I was going to be meeting a volunteer who worked full time and they were going to meet me after hours in the courthouse. Well, the courthouse is locked. So I kept walking down the hall to look out the front door waiting for this person. And on, I was going to be giving a presentation on Adolf later that week. So he was in my head. And as I was walking toward the gallery to look out that door, um, I just dawned on me that this was where he was incarcerated. And I said out loud, um, Adolf, why did you do it? And the moment I said that, there was a loud snap from my office. I went running back in and all four shades, two shades on two separate windows, had completely snapped up. And that has never happened before or since. Sometimes ghosts aren't seen or heard. Sometimes spirits can be smelled. The curious ongoings at the courthouse continue. This is something that that a few of our staff has experienced. When we're opening the courthouse and opening up all the gallery spaces early in the morning, um, it's happened to me several times. It's happened to different staff several times. It's not every morning. It's not every week. It's not even every month. But it's just one of those occasional things. We'll open up our historic restored sheriff's office door. And we will smell cigar smoke. There's no smoking in the courthouse. There's no one outside that could be pumping that in. Um, We'll just smell cigar smoke. And we do know that Elmer Gum, who's a former sheriff who died in 1941, we know that he always smoked his cigar at that desk. So is it him? I have no idea. But we will. We'll smell that cigar smoke every now and then. The stories we've heard so far about Little Leroy and Sheriff Gum pretty clearly tie back to characters that we know have been associated with the courthouse. Other presences are a little more mysterious. I talked to a janitor uh, that uh, he was uh, uh, the one that would clean upstairs late at night in the 70s. And uh, when I talked to him, he was still, when he brought up the story, he was still fearful of this. He said that that every now and then he'd be uh, cleaning the upstairs. It was the third floor where the main courtrooms are. And he would smell uh, like this really old-fashioned, he called it grandmother's perfume, just really old flowery perfume. And he just thought it was someone during the day that just wore too much perfume, and he had every now and then he'd walk through a cloud of it. And then one day he was up there, and he was cleaning, uh, he was buffing the floors, and... Uh, he saw a woman wearing an old-fashioned black dress with a wide brim black hat. He said she sort of glided across the floor in front of him and went right through a locked door, and that same flowery perfume just enveloped him. And uh, we don't know who she was. We don't know if she's related to a trial. Um, yeah, we, we, we have no clue who that, that woman was. Thank you, Ralph Gibson, for sharing your experiences and knowledge about our rich and lively history. We'll hear more from Ralph later in this episode, including a story that may lend photographic proof of one of Placer's ghosts. And we'll hear about special events happening this fall that celebrate and honor the history and spirits of Placer County, including a preview of a new exhibit coming to the museums in 2020 called Postmortem. Now, we whisk you over to the Bernhardt Museum, located just a few short blocks away from the courthouse, where a couple of our museum docents share their experiences and other tales. 
The Placer Dead continues now. Our first ghostly Bernhard Museum story comes from Placer County Museum's docent, Diane Adams. Hi, I'm Diane Adams, and I work as a volunteer docent at the mostly the Bernhard Museum and with the Living History Program with the kids at the Bernhard. It was built in 1851 by a couple of guys named Bishop and Long. Uh, they built it as the Traveler's Rest, which was a very basic kind of pit stop. You come off the stage, spend the night, get a meal, probably drink and gamble, uh, roll a bedroll all upstairs, no beds, just floor space, and um, spend the night, maybe get another stage going somewhere or go out looking for gold was basically it. And then the Bernhards came and raised a family there around 1868. And so you'll see things that would have been in a home around that time between 1850-1920. It's a really fun place to come see. We decorate at Christmas and the displays get changed around once in a while, especially the clothing upstairs. Um, there's a lot of things in our archives with clothing and those displays get changed and Christmas is very special there. Come by three o'clock if you want a tour because it takes about an hour. My favorite part is the people who come there. I love meeting people from all over um, who come. I really like the living history program we do with the kids because I kind of like kids and it's fun to hang out with them. And, um, and I like kind of um, keeping us rooted in our roots a little bit as we progress on with all the things that we do in life now, but to kind of remember where we came from, where our, where our pioneers came from, and, and I love all the old dishes and stuff. The Bernhard family, well, they came from Germany originally, uh, the story is they met on a boat coming over to America, liked each other, got married, lived in Missouri for a while. He worked as a teamster back there for a while with his wagons and horses going to bigger centers to get supplies and bringing the supplies into his little town. And then he found out about gold, so he got on a boat, came down around on a boat down to the Isthmus of Panama, got on another boat, came up, found a little bit of gold, realized he wasn't going to probably make it rich with gold, so he just became a teamster here, sent for his wife and child back east. They came out, and then they raised five children in that Bernhard house. He worked as a teamster when the railroad came through. He um, just bought more land, and he was well known for his wine. People would come from San Francisco to drink his wine. Not sure if those jugs of wine made it all the way back to San Francisco, but they did come and get one. <laughs> After they passed away, their daughter, around 1902, they passed away. Their daughter inherited the property. She lived there with her sons. Sons inherited the property. Eventually, we got it as a museum. It was just before 11 o'clock, because that's when my... Um, Volunteer shift starts at the Bernhardt. It was a sunny day, so I'm going to say it was it was about a year or so ago, and it was really nice weather. I walked up to the front porch like usual. 
there's two really um, skinny, narrow windows. There's one on either side of the front door there. And they have a little curtain across them. And I saw a white flowing figure go past. And I didn't think too much about it because the staff person who was opening up that day often wears kind of long, flowy kind of tops. And I just thought it was her. So I went inside and another docent was back in the kitchen. He'd gotten there before me. And I said, oh, uh, where's Beth? And he said, oh, she's not in the house. She's out back opening up the buildings. And I went, yes, I've seen my ghost. <laughs> a woman with a long, flowy white dress and just kind of went from one window to the other. I think where I saw the ghost and where the way the house is, they would have had to go through a wall on either side of the door to actually pass right in front of the door. Because you step in and there's a, a little tiny bit of a wall there that one side goes to the living room, one side goes to the parlor. And, and this was right in front of the door. So that was pretty exciting. I don't like second guess that I saw it. It was like, yes, I saw it, and yes, it wasn't Beth in her outfit, and, and wow, that was really cool. Nobody has really talked about that particular ghost before that I've talked to. The thing I have heard is about um, a guy with a beard looking in the windows from outside. So I've been looking out for him, haven't seen him. I did hear somebody walking around upstairs the other day, but when I went up very bravely, I'm gonna go up and see, I'm gonna go say hi. Nobody was up, that I saw was up there. And then I had another experience um, very recently, a couple of weeks ago. I was there with another docent, and I was giving a, a tour to somebody, and we were in the dining room, and right off the dining room is the kitchen, and there's a door that is open that could close between those two rooms. And the door kept closing, And I would open the door and then continue talking and the door would close again. It didn't close all the way. It closed about a little over halfway and then I would open it again and then it would close again. And the other docent and I were like, something's really weird with the air conditioning system. It's hitting that door just right. But it's the only time it's ever happened and it happened all day. Every time we went by, the door was half closed again, so. That was, that's kind of cool. When I first started docenting, I heard 
stories that the person who's in charge of kind of our displays and stuff, Kasha, she has a, um, a photographic memory for where everything is in there. If something's out of place, she notices it. She had been talking to the docents about stop kind of messing around with the stuff in the kitchen. It's where it's supposed to be and, and don't move it. And they were always saying, we're not moving it. They figured that maybe Mrs. Bernhard was coming in at night after they'd done tours and moving things around in the kitchen. She doesn't seem to do that too much anymore. We're pretty fussy about how we leave things. Like if, if somebody comes through and they open the icebox door to have a better look, we kind of put it back where we think it belongs because we know Kasha's is going to notice that it was opened. And still I go in there and I find things kind of a little bit moved around. Thanks to Diane Adams for sharing her stories with us. Her stories are just the beginning. Things get a little more personal with a second ghost sighting, as told by Placer County Museum's docent, Rebecca Denniston. Hi, I'm Rebecca Denniston, and I'm a docent for Placer County Museum's division, and I've been doing that since 2002. Well, this happened in 2004, and I was working at Living History, and it was really, really different than the Living History program that we had have now. Um, we used to have what was, when we would do what was called a rainy day schedule, we would stick people in the docent office and set the kids up with games and stories, and somebody would be in there reading to them and stuff like that. And it was just kind of this nice, relaxed place. And so um, this particular day, we had a lady in there. She was the grandma of one of the kids. Her name was Gina. And, you know, it was a great day. We had a great time. You know, nothing happened that was out of the ordinary. And then as we were leaving, Gina turned to Sandy Tribe and I, because that's who I was working with that day. She turned to us and asked, are there any ghosts in the house? And we just kind of looked at each other like, mm, okay, one of those. And then she said that um, she saw a man in the sitting room. And she said it was a good man. He was in a dark suit. He was turning around looking at things. And she basically described Mr. Bernhardt. And what really creeped me out was that she said how tall he was. And there was no way that she could have known this. Um, he, Mr. Bernhardt was 5'7". She said he was 5'8". And that's what really... I was like, how would she know this? Sandy said, well, Ms. well, Mary Jane had a door slammed on her one time, but that's all we know. Um, maybe we should have the place checked out. And so, you know, she went off and she was really nice. It was, it was cool. She was very laid back about the whole thing. So I go back into the house, because back then the docents had to do all the cleanup and we had to wash dishes in the tiny little butler's pantry with a little tiny water heater. But first of all, I stopped at the bathroom off of the sitting room, and I'm thinking about what Gina said. And so I said it out loud. I said, okay, Mr. Bernhard, if that's you, you're a gentleman, right? You wouldn't follow a lady into the bathroom, would you? 
and I go in there and I shut the door and I take my hat off. This hat that I have that I wear for Living History, it's got the straw hat band on it and it's got pieces of straw sticking out and sometimes they fall out. So basically this hat's been disintegrating for the past 20 years. So I take the hat off, piece of straw falls out. I think, okay, I'll do what I've got to do first. Next thing I know, the piece of straw that was on the floor is in the trash. And I thought, okay, it's the Benadryl. I must be, I must be delirious from the allergies or something, because there's no way I could have done this. And right when I'm thinking that, this cold prickle goes over the back of my neck. And it just was like, okay, this is... <laughs> This is weird. This is really weird. So I finished up and I got out of there and yeah, <laughs> did not want to stay in that room. It was like that he was out there saying hi and maybe trying to, to pick up after me. I don't know. <laughs> I heard Mr. Bernhard was a kind of a fastidious person, so it would not be out of the ordinary for him to do something like that. But, um, but yeah, it feels, it just feels like that, you know, maybe he was trying to take care of me or something. I don't know. It felt creepy. <laughs> I just, I kept repeating this Bible verse to myself, greater is in me, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And just over and over and over again, it's like, okay, Lord, this is one of my favorite places. I don't want to get freaked out. I want to come back here and not get freaked out again. And just, you know, get me calmed down here. And that's what it felt like. And then I just, I don't know. I didn't really like to talk about it once it happened because it just felt kind of silly. It was like, okay, I, you know, I know what I saw, but it just feels weird to, to say anything to somebody because it doesn't feel quite real. Ever since then, I've whenever I've gone into the house to, to do a tour or whatever, and I walk by the sitting room or the parlor where the pictures of the family are hung, I'll just go, hi, Bernhards, or good morning or something, because I feel like I'm covering my bases when I do that. And I haven't seen anything since, so hopefully maybe that is keeping them happy. I don't know. But... Um, but that's pretty much it. That was that was 15 years ago. Special thanks again to Rebecca Denniston for joining the Placer Life to recount her hair-raising tale. And we also heard from Diane and Rebecca that even though every night the docents make sure that the lights are turned off at the Bernhard Museum, on occasion folks will drive by and see that they're on during the night. So maybe something to keep an eye on as you're passing by. As promised, Placer County Museum's administrator, Ralph Gibson, joins us again to tell us about an experience that happened in a darkened tunnel at the Bernhard Museum. And we may have photographic evidence of a ghost that just might be proof that they're real. We'll share with you how to view that photo so you can decide. Here's Ralph. Way back in, I think it was 2014, this uh this group of folks came in for a tour of the Bernhard, and they were they were sort of amateur ghost hunters, and they asked if they could just kind of poke around a little bit and record and see if they can catch some voices. And and we told them, yeah, you're in for a tour anyway, so we just let them do that. And they asked to see the tunnel underneath. So we let them down to something we can't do anymore, but back then we could. So we let them down in the tunnel, and uh, the guy took a series of photographs inside the tunnel that went from the, the basement of the Bernhard to the uh, one of the doors on the second floor of the winery. It's where Mr. Bernhard used to used to pipe his wine down this uh, with with uh, pipes down there to fill up his barrels. And they just took a series of photographs in this tunnel, and he didn't see anything when he took when he took the pictures. But on one picture, and not any other, but on one picture, there's this sort of misty 
body-sized shape at the end of the tunnel. Whenever I was giving a tour of, say, even the Kell House Museum in Texas or a Bernhard Museum, the, the question always comes up, is the place haunted? And while in Kell House, even the Bernhard, there's been some stories. I always try to tell people that, yes, you know, we've heard things, we've seen things, but really when you walk into an old building, there's this sort of feeling of continuity with the past. And it's, it's much easier to believe that people are still there. They're walking around um, because you're looking at the old artifacts. You're looking at the, you're in an old house. It looks just like it did a hundred years ago. And so that feeling of continuity, I think opens people up to, uh, to that sort of possibility that, you know, there are things that are still living. They're not living, but things are still around. Um, So I think that's a little bit, a little bit of what goes on in someone's brain when they're in an old, old setting. If after hearing some of these tales, you too are looking for a little bit of that continuity with the past, or maybe a little bit of a brush with Placer County's ghosts, this month, Placer County Museums has you covered. Here's Ralph with details of some of the events we have planned. Yeah, uh, the first one is uh, actually coming up this Sunday, October 6th at 1.30 is our Old Auburn Cemetery Tour. Um, this is free. You don't have to register. You don't have to make reservations. You just show up. And uh, there's a little welcome table, and you'll have a map, and we have actors in the cemetery that are portraying different characters from our past. And you, you pick whichever path you want to go. And uh, it's, it's really fun. And, uh, yeah, it's a really good walk through history. While Placer County doesn't host these, Placer County Museum staff lend their expertise to the annual Old Auburn Ghost Tours, too. Those tickets sell out quick. Um, they're already sold out for this year, but certainly something you want to keep an eye on for next year. And the tickets are usually sold uh, the, either late August or early September. And uh, the tours this year are on October 26th, October 30th, and November 2nd. And uh, again, players will be re- recounting uh, um, ghost stories throughout Old Auburn, including the courthouse. And in spring 2020, Placer County Museums unveils their newest exhibit, Postmortem, which takes a look back at the ritual and mourning of the Placer County dead. We have an exhibit coming out uh, in the spring of 2020, and it's entitled Postmortem. And uh, the, the reason we're having this exhibit is we were recently given a large donation of mortuary um, tools from one of the original mortuaries in Auburn. In fact, uh, it's one of the oldest buildings, you know, on Commercial Street. Um, it's, that's where our first mortuary was. And uh, then they moved to uh, a spot right across from the, uh, uh, is it the Episcopal Church on Lincoln Way? I think it's the Episcopal Church. Right across the street from them is where they moved to. But they had all these 19th century and early 20th century mortuary tools. So they donated them to us. We have a huge collection. Plus, we've also got a lot of mourning implements. We have a mourning brooch for one of the Bernhards. Uh, we have mourning, uh, a mourning gown. So we thought it'd be interesting to talk about death and the ritual of death and mourning Um how it's changed because before the civil war the civil war was kind of like the demarcation line before the civil war people died at home they didn't die in a hospital they didn't die in some faraway battlefield they died at home around their friends and family world civil war for the first time people started dying in these faraway places and so they was they were up to these surrogates in the field to like make sure the last letter got home to let the family know what happened to them and where they're buried where what happened so 
all these rituals kind of changed after the Civil War. And of course, after the Civil War, now you start to find people dying in hospitals and other places. And so that, that, that ritual really changed. And so we really want to focus on where that change happened, why it happened, and what the ritual is, or what the rituals are. Look for that early next year at the Placer County Museum at the Historic Courthouse in Auburn. Join us online at placer.ca.gov to read articles and see photographs of the people and places from the stories in this episode, including the spooky image from the Bernhard Museum Tunnel. That does it for this episode, but we're not done with ghost stories yet this month. We have one more bonus episode to share with you. And if you have ghost stories from Placer County, we'd like to hear yours as well. Send us your tale at placerghosts at gmail.com and you might be featured in a future episode. We'd love to hear from you and share those stories too. I'm Scotty Sando. And I'm Chris Gray. Thanks again for tuning in to The Plaster Life.